Hey, everybody. Uh, we did it. We had a second year of a fundraiser around Groundhog's Day, except for it wasn't actually around Groundhog's Day. And I, Aaron, am here to talk about it. Also, Jim's here. Uh, <laughs> I don't have... I don't have a standard intro for Way our fundraising efforts yet. Undersell it. <laughs> also, Jim's here. There we go. Get the applause going, everybody. Uh, so, if you were, if you're not familiar, last year in 2018, Jim and I, for a long time, had been enamored with the idea of doing a 24-hour marathon of the movie Groundhog's Day on Groundhog's Day. And we did that, and we decided to make it a charity stream, and we raised over $10,000 for the National Alliance in Homelessness. Uh, and it was very, like, what, we, we put, threw that together in, like, a week. Um, but it was so successful that we thought maybe we should get spend a little bit more time and effort on it. And um, we did so this week, this year. We had a lot of changes. I guess we should take it back from the beginning. Um what was kind of what was in your in your back of your mind? What were your goals for round two of some kind of twenty four hour marathon? Uh, honestly, it was I don't want to do Groundhog's Day again. Uh, yeah. So pick something that'll be fun uh, that we can marathon, and also I want to raise at least as much money as we did last year, and I right. thought that was borderline achievable. Right. Yeah, I mean, because it had been a year and a lot more people. I mean, the the drawbacks of doing it in like the dead of February is that there's not as many people interacting with Bald Move as they would be like during Game of Thrones season or some other time. Mm -hmm. uh, the benefits is it fits well in our schedule. But, you know, we had another year to advertise it. We've been talking about this for a couple of months on lunch. You know, like I think most of the, the core bald move audience is kind of excited about it, looking forward to it. Um, but you know, we knew that like almost 20% of our donations last year came from a single individual <laughs> uh -huh. and you can't expect that to repeat. Um, and you know, the novelty's off and it's still February and, uh, yeah, you know, the, the, is, are people going to, is, are you going to be able to count on, you know, beating your record every year? Um, so we selected star Wars because mm -hmm. I, I can't remember if this was something you and I were thinking about, or if this is something that came out of like, you know, collaborations with the bald move community. But at some point we realized that all of the existing star Wars movies, uh, just fit in a 24 hour, space with like 15 15 minutes in between them for you know credits and a break and that will not that will no longer be true next year right that's the thing that really pushed me over the edge to make this the star wars marathon is because i was nervous i was like well i kind of want to keep the groundhog spirit alive which is watching yeah. a single movie 12 times yeah uh, over the course of 24 hours but the fact that this was the last year that the star wars marathon could happen in its fullness Mm -hmm. uh, really, yeah, it made me say, okay, let's do Star Wars. Um, and, you know, for the vast majority of the Star Wars, we've seen them multiple times. Um, mm -hmm. And kind of like the charm of last year's Groundhog's Day is like if we got busy doing something with chat for 30 minutes and we missed 30 minutes of the movie, who gives a shit? Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the deal is we're up for 24 hours doing it, not so much that we are our eyeballs are glued to every frame. Mm -hmm. um, so... That said, the other thing we thought of is, um, which I thought was one of the brilliant strokes, is you intercut scenes from the Star Wars Holiday Special, the right. kind of in between each movie to play during breaks, which 
Wow. Uh, the vast majority of people tuning in to watch this on twitch.tv slash bald move had no idea. <laughs> you know, that's one of those things like everyone's heard of the Star Wars holiday special, but not many people have seen it. Yeah. It's hard to it's, get your hands on a copy. Yeah. There's no, there is no uh, a official legit way to get a copy. There's not, it's not buried on any Blu ray features. It's not like a. You know, a Disney Insider subscription. It's just like Lucas, for all intents and purposes, uh, has tried to bury this thing the, the same way Disney's done with the Song of the South, essentially. Right. Um, and because it 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 uh, it's it's for for different, less offensive reasons, it generates an intense corporate amount of shame. Uh, and that that was a lot of fun to see people's reactions to being ex- experiencing that for the first time. Uh, yeah, I think that was born of some of the the break stuff we did last time where we watched maybe like the punks tony phil ceremony itself right uh the unveiling of the groundhog and just like having a static camera on a room while we were out and and maybe chris elliott popping his fucking head up every once in a while it's not as interesting or as entertaining for the audience so we wanted to do something more this year the other thing is we decoupled the marathon from the groundhog's day observation Mm -hmm. uh itself and there's a couple of reasons why we did this number one is um my wife's birthday is always going to fall on the day after Groundhog's Day, <laughs> uh-huh. and uh, you know that kind of sucks. If you at, for for the foreseeable future, your your mate's going to be wiped out on your birthday, um, mm-hmm. and that's also um, the way that the parenting time works. Like that was always going to fall on my weekend that I have with my son, which is cool because he gets to kind of watch or participate. But it's not cool because again, it's a, a weekend I'm just kind of wiped out. Um, so we, we switched it to the week after Groundhog's Day and, um, how, how, how do you feel about decoupling it further? Like, uh, I'm, a, I'm kind of okay with it. Uh, I don't yeah. know that it, like now that it's not, now that it's no longer the Groundhog Day marathon on Groundhog mm-hmm. Day, I feel like we could really do it any time of year. Mm. Yeah. We need to come up with a catchy name that's like evergreen. Right, like Extra Life is a really good name, or exactly. Uh, what's the Penny Arcade one? Uh, Child's Play. Yeah, that's that's a charity, not an event, right? Oh, did, oh, did they I have thought... an event around that? I know Extra I Life it's... donates to. Yeah, yeah I thought it is just the Child's Play. Yeah, they have. Huh, okay. um, I do think that um, uh, it would be kind of like the, the uh, one cool time of year if we wanted to move it completely would be like just before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Because that's kind of like we're winding down anyway. We usually have pretty big audiences leading up to, you know, it's like before all television kind of stops and people are kind of in a charitable kind of frame of mood. Um, Their credit cards are maxed out, though. Credit cards are maxed out. That's true. Uh, I, it's 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 rolling the dice. If you get outside of like very early from like mid-December to very early february you're really rolling the dice about when television is going to be on and how busy the schedule is going to be yeah and i'll say after this marathon i was pretty well wiped out for several days not just you know oh sunday i'm not going to go out and do anything but monday tuesday like we're getting well on into the week before i feel normal again yeah and that's something that didn't happen to me last year last year Uh i had the plan where i was going to essentially go home from lunch uh, take some melatonin, some herbal supplement, uh, get sleepy, get five to six hours of sleep, and then kind of go in and just do the 24 hours and then crash at midnight 
and that worked very well last year. Like I didn't even feel like I lost essentially a day. I know you and I had like an event together the next day, mm-hmm. um, and we were both like, "Yeah, it just didn't didn't feel like it took it out of us." This year, I got to sleep, but about forty five minutes into it, uh, a heavy truck came down the street <laughs> and started doing some kind of light construction work uh, two doors down. And what do you need a heavy truck for light construction work for? Come that's on. a that's a damn fine question. That's a damn <laughs> fine question. Uh, but this thing Jay breaks down my street and then starts dismantling a sidewalk or some shit. And it's not just the distraction of that because like I I actually got up and put in some earplugs. It's like that quiet fury that builds mm-hmm. in you that like you have to be asleep now, but you can't because some kind of unforeseen. <laughs> and I think I got essentially forty five minutes of sleep Ugh. in forty eight hours. And yeah. for whatever reason, when I came home uh, sun, early Sunday morning, uh, I couldn't get to sleep until like five in the morning. I know why. We'll, we'll talk about it, but I know why. Oh, something something okay. marvelous happened toward the end oh, of the yes, stream. Yes, 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 yet, yes. Yet again this year. But yeah, I was the same with you. I was running on very little sleep, uh, something like four hours. And it was one of those situations where I thought, okay, I'm going to go to sleep here. And I kind of got to sleep at the right time. But then I woke up. Yeah. And then I'm looking at the clock and I'm thinking, okay, I got to go to sleep. And now I have three hours left to sleep. Okay, got to go to sleep. I have two and a half hours left to sleep. And mm-hmm. that continued until I realized, well, shit, I'm just not going to go back to sleep. And I'm going to yeah. go into this 24-hour marathon with four hours of sleep in 48 hours. And yeah, it just wiped me out. Um, I will say that the facility that we're in pretty worked out like, a, you know, uh, it was St. Saint, Saint Aloysius, which is the facility that we're going to be moving our studio into as soon as they get our space done. They didn't have a space available. Obviously, they didn't have a studio available because we're still broadcasting out of Jim's basement for the time being. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were able to hook us up with um, uh, a training room. It was a big, like a 30 by 30 training room. It had, you know, lights and it had a little attached kitchen area, which was nice. It was right by the front door so we could take the deliveries that have kind of become a tradition of this thing already. And um, it had really excellent, stable internet. We didn't have any problems. And I just want to give a shout out to St. Aloysius uh, because they actually themselves are charity. Mm-hmm. Um, they are um, a provider of like um, mental, emotional, and behavioral um, uh, education and treatment, uh, especially to the, the youth of Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And if you know a young person that is in need of any kind of treatment like that, uh, regardless of their ability to pay, uh, you should you should ch- uh, check out St. Al's. Uh, there's a St. Al's children.org. It's just S T A L S children.org. Um, you can check out the, if you're in the Cincinnati, the greater, the greater Cincinnati area, check that out. And I'll put that link in the show notes as well. So I appreciate, appreciate uh, Karen and Pam over there uh, letting us use their space. Um, but it's kind of funny cause we got there. There's a couple of like bizarre mishaps. Like uh, neither one of us brought a remote control to operate the television. <laughs> And we hit this ironic situation where one of our televisions, both of our televisions are set to not have their internal speakers turned on, Mm -hmm. okay? Because we have (laughs) the Sonos set up at our homes. Uh, One of the televisions, we could switch on the ability to use the internal speaker from the little control panel from the front, but you couldn't actually control the volume. Right, so it's very low. 
And the other one is you could control the volume, but you couldn't actually flip the switch from <laughs> from from internal to external speaker. So we're sitting there, and it's like there's like 15 minutes to go. And fortunately, my wife was still up, and she was able to uh, run us a remote. Um, but that was really kind of the only technical mishap I would oh, say for the whole day. Yeah, so I'm super glad we did this pre-stream thing where we streamed because I realized as I was cutting the Star Wars holiday special that there wasn't enough time in the 24 hours to actually get it all in and still show all the movies. Yeah. So I I That's said, bad. all right, let's go ahead and run like 18 minutes of it before this before our actual part of the stream starts. Right. I'm glad we did that because there were some last minute configuration things that needed to happen where we were like editing shots and getting the the cameras positioned and stuff. Yeah. Where if we didn't have that lead up time, I don't know that we would have made it. Yeah, I was wondering if we should like going years going forward if we had like an hour of prepared like maybe we can like pay somebody to cut a highlight year of the uh, a highlight roll of the years past huh um you know like like come up with just the something that we can play to lead up to a marathon that allows people to gather at twitch you know because that's the other nice thing about uh, like at least a 15 20 minute lead up it allows people to like you know congregate in a chat area and start talking to each other and build up some excitement and then the thing starts so i thought that was i I agree it allowed us to work out a bunch of issues and also um it seemed like it was fun for people too here's what i want next year i want an employee to set all of this shit up for us yeah so i can sleep till 11 55 right roll out of bed (laughs) yes 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 uh and get right on stream live with no configuration yeah yeah um and so there's a couple things that you know we had a physical address at the place and in last year the thing that happened kind of organically is people just sent us food yeah i don't know why they started sending us food that's not something we really asked for i think um, was it was it eric did he start this with the crave case or was it michelle with a pizza think so or? i think it might have been michelle with the pizza okay. but it, it tickled people's because we actually at you know naive us we we planned on feeding ourselves <laughs> right. um but we just had an incredible array of like food and other stuff. This year, um, it really took the you know, not only did we have the food coming in, but people um sent us a bunch of stuff. Like mm-hmm. NARS sent us um these ridiculous mugs. Uh Jim got ahead of the Ewok wicket and it's literally like life size. Uh <laughs> and I got a a quarter scale job of the hut mug where his tail is the kind of the handle and he sent you a package of white socks because uh-huh of you know jim moore had the temerity to wear white socks on the stream last year <laughs> apparently yeah that's, uh, that's in and then later we'll talk about and the winner is who sent us uh a uh, donated uh, a high-tech fancy bidet right wh- wh- why why would she think to send us a bidet jim uh, this is the year of the bidet i don't know if people have heard about this but 2019 it's 2k bidet two two but bidet. i don't know how to say it 2k bidet yeah. 19 uh-huh uh-huh uh year uh, of the bidet it's it's happening in america right now yeah and and uh bald moves at the forefront jim and i have, have jumped in both feet and both both cheeks i should say <laughs> uh with with bidets at our house and we've been e- evangelizing it i guess as much as you can evangelize 40 dollars worth of plumbing sure um but and the winner uh she sent in like this deluxe it's got it had heated seats heated water heated ass dryer mm-hmm. dual nozzles uh misting it it, it 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 was like like one of those fancy electronic things you see in japan yeah it, it, it was like a, a big heavy impressive like 400 dollar bidet i'm actually and, jealous of it 
I'm actually jealous of it. And um, we use that to kind of encourage donations at key points, in this, uh, which we'll, we'll talk about here in a minute. Or maybe we talk about that now. Um, so we watched all of Star Wars in chronological order and like in-universe chronology. So we had the prequels that then led to Solo, which then led to Rogue One, which then immediately leads into the classic trilogy. And then we had, uh, you know, The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi to wrap things up. And that's just just about uh, 24 hours on the nose. Um, the actual I did. did I, this is the first year, I guess, the first time that I actually got scared that I might not make it. Yeah. Like right before sunrise, I when we were, we had just done like the prequels, essentially, uh, I was really dragging ass, man. Uh, yeah, no, me too. I last year, I recall getting sleepy around 6 p.m. Uh-huh. Uh, and going okay, I've got to watch this movie three more times this year. Right. It was like 10 a.m., and I was already yeah. very tired, and I was thinking, yeah. oh, God, I have to watch 14 more hours of this? <laughs> Seven one, more Star Wars movies? Yeah, it's one thing when you get tired and you're like, ah, I got less than like an average shift of work, but when yeah. you get tired and you've got a full work day ahead of you, <laughs> right. and then some, uh-huh. it's uh, and you got to be kind of cheery and energetic, uh, but... Uh, for some whatever reason, the sun rose. Uh, so we got sent some breakfast. Um, that was clutch. I I gotta say that like full farmer's breakfast thing. Yeah, really just perked me up. Yeah. Um. And then from that point on, I got like a maybe a Red Bull in me, and I it just kind of buoyed by the enthusiasm of the event. Once we got, you know, once we got into the prequel trilogy, or I'm sorry, the classic trilogy, I kind of felt like we were made in the shade. Yeah, um, I, was, I was still I was nervous, still but I'm, yeah. but looking back, I don't think I felt tired from from like you know a new hope on. Yeah. Um, what else we, do we want to talk about? So we so we um, we are doing this for the National Alliance in Homelessness, and I, we're actually going to have um, Ben Nolan, uh, who is one of their managers in their, their programs and policy um, development center. And he's going to talk about like the charity itself and what they're doing. Uh, also, if you listen to last year's podcast, which I'll link as well, we had Jasper Vaughn um, to talk about uh, the National Alliance. And Steve Berg, their v- vice president, uh, was nice enough to stop in our Twitch chat. Because mm-hmm. all this happened, I don't know if I mentioned this, twitch.tv slash baldmove. Um, he stopped by uh, Saturday afternoon. I think they're in Empire Strikes Back and, and hung out for about a half hour, ask, uh, answered people's questions and thanking people and um we raised uh like i said the the numbers are not quite finalized because there's some merch stuff and um some some other things to add in there but we're we're just under sixteen thousand dollars as it stands right now nice uh we made over fifth uh you know we just made up straight fifteen thousand five hundred fifty dollars in donations alone and then we had people subs, all, all the subs we get, um, we, we're going to take our cut, you know, cause, uh, and, and throw that onto the total. And then there's a bunch of bit donations, which are the Twitch kind of currency that are going to get thrown on top of there. Um, so w- one of the things we did, like, cause, cause you had mentioned last year or when we were talking about this, that like, you know, cause, cause last year we did the $10,000 goal, but it was like a fake goal. Cause we yeah. didn't intend to hit $5,000. It's just, we, we, I guess we tried, we wanted to get to 5,000, but like if you got to 5,000 and you had three hours to go, then the bar just sits there. So we made it 10,000 mm-hmm. and just like, 
And this year, we're like, we don't even want to do the bar. We just kind of want to let everyone know we're trying to beat last year, and we need to average, like, $1,000 per movie to hit that. And we kind of use that as, like, you know, we're on pace, we're behind pace. Um, But essentially, once we hit the original trilogy, I felt like we started, like, you know, it was it was definite that we were going to hit the goal. It's just how much we were going to exceed it. Yeah, and we raised fifty percent, at least fifty percent more this year than we yeah. did last year, which is shocking to me because, like I said, I was hoping to get to last year's number. Yeah, that was interesting because, like, um, I, I guess I learned some things about fundraising because, like, that's not like our forte. But yeah. I keep learning things every year. One of the things that and the winner is taught me is people really get into raffles. Uh, we, we did a, a, this thing where we raffled off this bidet for like every $10 you donated during a particular movie, uh, we would put you in for one entry for the, the bidet. And then we, we ran a raffle afterwards and randomly selected their, the name out of a digital hat and, uh, was able to award these things out. And so like our average donation per movie was, you know, like in the, $900 range during the time we ran that first raffle, we made like $2,400. Yeah. It generated a lot of interest and excitement. Uh Um, So I feel like that's definitely something next year we can do. We can work with our sponsors and our vendors to get some cool stuff for people. Um, Maybe even reach out to uh, like some of the show reps and stuff to see if we can get some like, you know, really cool licensed merchandise for the shows that we cover to give away. But that's definitely going to be a point of emphasis, that I think, for next year. Um, and the other thing that was really cool. So so actually, the first one went so well that Ann decided to donate another one. And we had a second um, bidet uh, that raised about $4,200 for the last movie, The, uh, the Last Jedi. Yeah. And... But I think she has to share credit with some someone else that was kind of incredible. <laughs> um, it was like a really early on to The Last Jedi. And I remember Cecily, who at this point was had joined. She was kind of off camera, but like sitting to the side with, with your girlfriend. She just kind of said, oh, my God, Mark Hamill just tweeted about you guys. Yeah, I looked over at her. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm sure it's like uh, the real Mark Hamill on Twitter, right? No, no right. blue check mark, nothing. She's right. like, no, no, it's the real. It's Hamill himself. Uh-huh. And and we proceeded to lose our fucking minds after verifying it. I mean, it seems crazy because it's not like we even met Mark Hamill. But right. I think and, and, you know, we've also had some other cool things like Carrie Coon accepted Baldy from last year <laughs> on Twitter, which was really which is really funny and awesome. Um, but I was genuinely blown away by Mark Hamill. And what he did is um, so what a bald move fan informed him of what we were doing uh, on Twitter and said, could, you know, the boys get a shout out. And he's, he posted a, a, a picture of Luke about to jump off Jabba's diving board, giving that little jaunty salute, yeah. which is, you know, the trigger to send his lightsaber in the air. And he posted that and said to the boys, a bald move. And it just, and, and, and he, he, he liked some of our responses. And uh, when I posted the next day, the result, he actually liked that, you know, the, the, how much money we, we've raised. He actually liked that. And, you know, I don't know if it's him or his personal assistant, but either way, it made me feel like a million dollars. Yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, it, and the funniest part of it all was uh, the absolute meltdown of the stream at the same time. <laughs> so, yes, like, yeah. it, it, 
but not in the way you think. So you would think that a million people would come in and start watching the stream and we just wouldn't be able to do it or something. Mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. like break the internet, but it actually mm-hmm. broke Aaron. He was fumbling with the keyboard <laughs> so yeah. hard that he accidentally tapped the sleep button on the computers. So yeah. we're, we're like freaking out and in the middle of us like trying to figure out, is this the real one? Oh shit, it is. Suddenly both of our computers just turn off. Yeah. They're, they're both streaming and watching the movies. <laughs> Because we're and, using, we we had this jank kind of keyboard and mouse set up, and yeah. I was like trying to balance on a probably a beanbag or some shit, and uh, yeah, I hit the sleep button. <laughs> <laughs> so in the middle of Mark Mania, uh-huh. our stream goes dead for like a minute. Uh, that was awesome. Great. But Great. Uh, it was it was I, horrifying in the moment, but now it's actually yeah, hilarious. Yeah, like yeah, I mean the ice water running down my spine was real. <laughs> I will say that like the. The most amazing part is the like on Monday when I you know I was having dinner we with we had sitting around a dinner table with my family and my son was there and he was at he had asked me like the the car ride home how the thing went and I said oh it went pretty good and I'm a, but we're gonna talk about it at dinner and I showed him the tweet and I didn't say anything about it I said hey look look who no- noticed our marathon uh-huh. and just his dawning realization of who it was. <laughs> And like the magnitude of it, like he just fucking lost his shit the same way we did, which yeah, is was really cool, um, for sure. Ah, so I don't know what else we want to talk about. Like I had a really good time um, watching all the movies. I don't think I paid as close as attention to some of them as I wanted to. I know there was a movement to try to convert my opinion. On the last Jedi that I don't, I don't think had a prayer of 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 winning in the last moments of the marathon. No, um, but it it was a good time. It was a good time. What do, do we want to talk about? Um, I uh, like plans for next year. I mean, I mean, we're definitely going to do this. I think every year. I'm yeah, not we're going to sure. try to. I don't know the configuration. Is it going to be you know just you and me for 24 hours? Is mm-hmm. it going to be swapping multiple people out, having guests? Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. who knows? We're we're talking about all sorts of stuff. There were some good suggestions in chat during the stream for what marathons we could do. Um, yeah, I think one of the front runners was Fast and the Furious. Yeah, the um, whole Fast and Furious franchise. Yeah, because there are exactly enough. I think. To I think do when that the Hobbs, the Hobbs, and yeah. uh, what's his face movie comes out, there'll be enough. Yep. Although I've always, uh, if you know, I guess we're now not doing it on Groundhog Day, but if we kept on Groundhog Day, I always thought it'd be fun to like start the marathon of Groundhog Day. So if like there was mm. a little bit of a gap, you could always fill it with that. But um, yeah. I know that was one of the suggestions. I think Star Trek is another, the Star Trek franchise is another strong possibility because yeah. there might be actually too many movies. There are way too many. I mean, there are like 11 between just original trilogy and Next Generation. Right. But I, I think you could do a fun, like, classic and, you know, do, do the classic, tri- you know, do yeah. the classic six and then, like, maybe the new three and leave out Generations. Ah. Uh, uh, you don't like that. <laughs> what? what captain kirk erasure is that what you're going to argue we're yeah. going to do six six movies of that bloated fuck and you know <laughs> hey he's he only gets... bloated in like the last four of the movies come on <laughs> i think he was bloated in the old series so i mean i love the band don't get me wrong but let's let's be honest about uh that's fair. about his appeal um but yeah, no, I think that would be fun. Um, there's a bunch of other, uh, obviously, suggestions, and we'll just have to come up with what what we're feeling in the time. Um, also, the other thing that's sucking right now is uh, because this is Star Wars, 
it, um, you know what when we show when we say we we live stream this, what we do is we we have like a checkerboard pattern that we put over the image. And we don't have uh, the the only the only dial the only audio that's coming out is the little bit that bleeds over our, our microphones. Mm-hmm. Um, however, because Star Wars is Disney and Disney is one of the more active copyright people on YouTube, every single one there's enough of that very slight Star Wars music coming through the microphone that we're getting copyright strikes for posting our archive. Um, yeah. And now it's we have downloaded all the videos from Twitch, so they're not going to go anywhere, but they're probably not going to be available for at least a short time because um, I don't know. It's risky to try like to me to me. I think it's probably something we could contest and 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 win, you know, just like say, hey, this isn't actually this is this isn't actually what you think it is. And if someone actually reviewed it, but I don't know. And risking the entire bald move YouTube channel on that seems kind of risky. So we're probably going to find just another host um, that doesn't, doesn't have these automated checks that are, that are tripping us up. But um, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to try to do some stuff with the audience, see what I can do. I also have a copyright dispute in right now. Copyright strike dispute. Yeah. Uh, trying to say, t- hey, look, this is just totally commentary. It has nothing mm-hmm. to do with actually watching the movie. Right, right. Um, so we're going to see how that goes. I think the other thing um, is we're also looking to how much it would be to like official, like for like these live watch stuff to officially license it for what we're doing. Yeah. And maybe as a charity, we can get a reduced rate. Or there's also the possibility, I know Twitch has been kind of working on this in the background of some way that they. You know, you can do some kind of sh- shared watching on the Twitch platform and just have it be totally legit. Yeah, um, come on, Amazon. Yeah, like you've got this huge library of stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe ne- maybe the next uh, marathon is going to be just all <laughs> Amazon originals. There we go. Uh, the Expanse. We could do the Expanse marathon. We sure could. It'd be First like two a seasons. 39-hour. <laughs> eh, not, not quite. <laughs> It'd probably be 30 hours. Um. But yeah, we could. Uh, there's there's a bunch of stuff that that is possible. Um, but yeah, we'll just see if we can keep working with the National Alliance to to make this bigger and better. And some of our vendors and boy, how, everybody that uh, stopped by this year. And I know there are several people that like to stayed up with us the whole the night. Um, and we had tons of people. Like we had average viewers, well over two hundred. Yeah, which is like uh almost i I think that's actually quite a bit over our max viewers from last year the average viewers i think so um even in the dead of night so like it was nice also having on that saturday because i feel like there's a lot of people that were like in for the duration and uh thanks to everybody that showed up thanks for everybody obviously donated um we are going to now have an interview with ben noel that i can before we do that one Mm -hmm. more thing to pimp uh we we also in our prep for it uh, my girlfriend designed some Groundhog Day, some mm. Punxsutawney Phil, our version of Punxsutawney Phil, uh, pins, enamel pins. Maybe you should explain that, because people are going to look at that and see some eldritch nightmare. So people who were with us for the first Groundhog Day stream that we did might uh-huh. have noticed, and actually this one too, might have noticed um, a, a graphic that got progressively more disturbing of Punxsutawney Phil, of, of actually a real groundhog. Uh-huh. Uh, that that would pop up on the screen every once in a while whenever they showed Phil. Uh, I proceeded to Photoshop that thing to death over the course of that twenty four hours. The the first complaint was the teeth the teeth uh, the the rodents teeth were nasty. Yeah, I mean they're yellowed, they're a little twisty and curvy. You know, yeah. it's gross. It's gross. They're groundhogs. So, so I decided to give it a, a 
orthodont, orthodont, I'll do a little orthodontery. I don't know how you say that <laughs> uh, to this groundhog. And I put human teeth in its mouth, uh-huh. which was the first modification. People seem to like that. And then I said, you know what? It's not disturbing enough. So I put also human teeth for its eyebrows and I made it like kind of waggle them, wiggle them and yeah. then give, give a little kiss to the camera. So mm-hmm. that happened over the course of last of, of the first year. And then mm-hmm. this year we kind of brought it back, but we did it, you know, a little bigger and better with an actual physical pin that you can commemorate uh, the experience with. So that we didn't actually sell enough for us to cover the cost of that, which kind of sucks. Um, but you can still buy them if you want to, if you go to groundhog.baldwin.com. still not too late to turn that thing around. Right, right. We can still get uh, Phil, that horror, Eldritch horror Phil out there. So this is one of those like enamel pins. It's great for backpacks, jackets, yeah. uh, satchels, purses, um, uh, I- I- any place you'd put an enamel uh, novelty uh, commemorative pin. You can you can put this. I can certify that. Yeah. Um, and where and you can find that. At, there's actually a groundhog.baldmove.com. Right is the place where you want to go for all of, of this stuff. Um, we've got links to last year's content. You can still go over to our Twitch site. And I think I think this is the last weekend that the Groundhog Day stuff is going... Like, if you don't watch it by Friday, if, if you want to, it's going to go offline for a while until we find a new home for it. Um, and I think once we do get those videos up, mm-hmm. groundhog.baldmove.com is a place that those will probably live. Yeah, that's just be our hub for, for now and forever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the next thing that'll come out is we'll have a final total that we will send to the national Alliance. And when we get their acknowledgement letter, we'll post that for everybody, but, uh, already looking forward to next year. And again, thanks to everybody that made it bigger and better. We are now going to talk to Ben Noel from the national Alliance in homelessness, and he's going to explain what the national Alliance does, how our money helps them and the pro the, the programs that they believe can actually end homelessness. Hey, Ben, thanks for joining us on the podcast. I'm glad you're able to take time out of your busy schedule to uh, talk to our listeners about your work there at the National Alliance in Homelessness. Uh, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much. I appreciate you uh, having a fun. Uh, so one thing, um, the first year that we did this kind of fundraiser for the National Alliance, um, my son, who was 11 at the time, was participating, and he actually had $50 of his uh, Christmas money that he kicked into the donation system. And, and if you don't know, when people donate, they can actually have like a little you know, attribution or like a donation dedication. And he put uh, homeless, question mark, how about they have homes? Um, and, it, <laughs> you know, like this, this 11-year-old's idea that like we had this successful fundraiser, which means like homelessness is not well, going to be a problem anymore. Uh, and that was like a pop- popular rallying cry for this year. A lot of people were echoing that uh, statement. Um, but it got me thinking because you guys are the National Alliance to End Homelessness. And homelessness has been a problem throughout all my life. Uh, is actually ending homelessness, is that a, a reasonable goal? Is that something that you guys feel like that you can achieve? Or is it kind of like, a, you know, just more of a, a mission statement or guiding principle? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think you know it's it's in the name, and I think we very much believe that it's that it's possible and doable. Um, yeah, I, I love I love the energy and the enthusiasm and the positivity of your son because I think um, you know sometimes we bring our own judgments and our own understandings of like what causes homelessness and feel like it's such an intractable problem. But you know at at the end of the day, we know what the solution to homelessness is, and it's housing. Um, and it sounds really simple to say it that way, <laughs> right? People. 
people who have housing aren't. Uh, so if have housing, then, uh, then, then they are no longer homeless. So we can end homelessness by housing the people who are currently experiencing homelessness. So, you know, it, it sounds really simple. And of course, there's, there's, a lot, um, there's a lot of things that drive people to lose their housing. There's a lot of things that make it difficult for folks once they do lose their housing to get back into housing. But it's a pretty simple premise, right? We don't need to to uh, solve everybody's myriad problems, right? I'm I'm housed, you're housed, we have problems, right? We don't need mm-hmm. to fix people or solve everything that that may be wrong in their lives or that may be difficult in their lives. Um, we just need to make sure that people are connected to housing. So um, I think we could all probably take a little bit of your son's uh, a- approach and say, you know, maybe we can do something about this. So we definitely believe it's possible. I, I want to ask this because I- I've heard that you know in because I've become personally interested in the 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 problem of homelessness in America, uh, and I've heard it said many times that we have tons of surplus housing. We have tons of resources. That there is not any kind of intrinsic shortage that would cause people not to be able to have uh, uh, housing. And you, as you said, that's the crux of it. Like you, you take a homeless person and you put them in a home. Guess what? They're not homeless anymore. What? So, so why do we still have the problem? Why are there still homeless uh, people in America if we have all these resources uh, to, to help them? Can you kind of explain how this, the, 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 where are the failures in the system and what, where, what you guys try to do to, to remedy those? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when you kind of look at the, the number of people experiencing homelessness over the past decade or so, um, despite a lot of economic challenges, despite a recession, despite, you know, pretty stagnant wages over over the course of some years, we've actually seen uh, until about a year and a half, two years ago, uh, a slow but steady decrease in the number of people experiencing homelessness. So um, there are a lot of factors, economic factors, uh, particularly in regards to wages being pretty stagnant and while, while housing costs simultaneously have increased uh, significantly. Um, particularly rental costs have increased mm-hmm. significantly across the country over the past decade. So those kind of factors that might push people into homelessness continue to be exacerbated. Uh, you know, rents are rents are going up, wages are pretty steady and pretty low for a lot of folks. So that's kind of those push factors that are pushing people into homelessness because they're losing their housing. Um, that said, we've seen um, an increase in spending on, on ending homelessness. We've seen an increase in spending on the things that we think work really well. And so we're housing more and more and more people. Um, the problem is that there's still an inflow into to home, right? People are going to continue to lose their housing. So we need to create a system that can quickly help folks when they lose their housing get back into permanent housing arrangements. So, um, you know, I'm not sure when we talk about ending homelessness, to go back to your first question, um, I'm not sure if we're going to see which nobody ever has a house crisis and which nobody ever lose their housing. Um, our goal is to have a system that can quickly help, help folks once they do lose housing, get back into permanent housing um, with as few hoops to jump through as possible. Now, can you like talk about like why you know why is it important? You know, like some people are like, well, maybe in this case we want to slow down. We want to make sure that the right people are getting the right resources. Uh, why do you, why is the National Alliance put so much emphasis on what you call rapid rehousing, like getting people back in 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 a, in a house as quickly as possible? Great question. So, you know, as we as we go around, and I mean, I, I think all of us can imagine, right? We've all we've seen people experiencing homelessness. We've seen folks sleeping literally on the streets, you know, in in 
storefronts. Um, but even if you've ever set foot in a shelter, even a nice shelter, but there's a lot that aren't very nice out there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not a good place to live. Um, it's not a good place to heal. It's not a good place to sleep. It's not a good place um, to to wake up each day and then try and go uh, work or try and find a job or try and study or whatever those next steps may be. So what we've seen is that when people have the stability, the safety of their own home, they tend to do better. So a lot of the, the challenges that we see people uh, experience when they're living on the street um, quickly go away or improve the minute that they are in housing or after they've adjusted to being back in housing. It's that stability. You know, um, if you don't know where you're going to be able to shower, it's pretty difficult to, you know, land a job with an interview. Um, if you are chronically tired because you can't get good rest because you're in a dorm with you know, 250 other people, it's hard to get up and go to work in the morning. It's hard to uh, succeed on your test if you're in school. It's hard to do a lot of the things that we kind of take for granted. So um, we believe that housing is not just the solution to homelessness, but it's also the foundation for folks to make all the improvements in their lives um, that, that they want to. And so it's hard to do that when you are sleeping on the street, when you are sleeping in your car, when you are sleeping in a shelter, you know, and, and not to, to say nothing about shelters that often run from 7, a, uh, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., you know, so mm-hmm. so you have nowhere to go during the day. You don't have a place to store your things. Um, it's really difficult to, to fashion a life that way. So when you have your own set of keys, your own place to go at the end of the day, um, that's what helps people uh, take those steps forward. So it's, it's hard to imagine people taking those major, major life steps uh, without the stability of a place to live. So what is the big barrier here? It seems like that if we have X, the, the, if we have housing, uh, we see, you know, evidence that the quicker we can get people back into housing, the better their outcomes are going to be. Is it a cost thing? Is this like cost an arm and a leg to, to, to put people in housing? Is it uh, what, what's the barrier here, Ben? You know, it's a, it's a, it's something that I, that I, stay up at night thinking about sometimes. And I think it's different uh, depending on where you're at in the country. So in some places, there's just not really the political will. People don't see people experiencing homelessness, so it doesn't really become a priority or uh, a major focus. Um, Other places, you know, I think I mentioned that, that, you know, in the past two years, we've seen this trend of slow but steady decreases in homelessness reverse a little bit. Um, they're still very – it's basically flattened, and there's been slight increases. But a lot of that is coming from pretty large increases in um, particularly a lot of West Coast communities. So you're looking at Los Angeles, San Diego, Seattle, Portland, um, La, you know, I think I said Los Angeles. Uh, you can include Las Vegas, Denver. Um, these are places that are seeing huge increases in People uh, experiencing homelessness, particularly people experiencing unsheltered homelessness. So when you look across the country and you look at the resources versus the need, um, there's there's disparities there. So, um, you know, you can actually look at the number of beds that are funded across the country. When you look for at families experiencing homelessness, um, a lot of communities have prioritized funding for families. We've decided, I think, appropriately so that it's that it's 
unconscionable to think of of kids living on the street and not having the stability of a home. So um, there's actually a, a pretty good um, – the, the match between the resources available to families and the number of families experiencing homelessness is is almost one-to-one, um, but still from place to place that, you know, there, there's some communities where there is not enough resources and others where there's an abundance of resources. Um, so that So that comes into play. But when you look at individual adults – which is the population that's increasing across the country, um, that's where you start to see it's really only about um, – there's only really about half of the resources that we need in order to see um, – to, to meet the needs of people experiencing homelessness. So I, I guess what's the what's the idea or plan to like reallocate these resources? It sounds like what it is is like if, if the homelessness problem was spread evenly across the United States, we would we, we would have it solved. Um, but the problem is, is you've got places where incomes have been stagnant while rents have skyrocketed and people that previously had their own homes or in communities or had their own homes now suddenly can't pay rent. And, and we found out like in the latest government shutdown, a frightening number of Americans are just a few paychecks away from being in that situation. Uh, how, how, when, since you've got these peak demands that are all in like these very, uh, you know, these concentrated hot, hot spots, what's, what's the solution there? I think a really good example of this is looking at the push to end veteran homelessness. Um, so in 2009, there was um, a, a federal st- a strategy that was released called Opening Doors, um, and one of the first goals of that uh, of that approach was to uh, effectively end veteran homelessness. Now, to effectively end veteran homelessness means like I mentioned earlier, um, we know that veterans, it, it's never going to be a, a, an absolute zero number of veterans experiencing homelessness because mm-hmm. there will continue to be veterans that will lose their housing mm-hmm. and that will have a housing crisis and fall into homelessness. Um, but the goal of ending veteran homelessness is to make sure that no veteran is homeless for a long amount of time and that when a veteran does lose their housing, they are quickly uh, reconnected to permanent housing. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were there's a couple initiatives um, that are that are nationwide initiatives. One is called HUD-VASH. So it's a, a, a collaboration between the Department of Housing and Urban Development and the Department of Veterans Affairs. Um, so HUD, VA, uh, and the, the Supportive Housing. So hence HUD-VASH, the, um, mm. the acronym. Right. So that's uh, a what's called permanent supportive housing. It's a long-term voucher with supportive services that can potentially last for somebody's entire life. Um, So that's for those veterans with the highest needs, the veterans who have been homeless the longest. Every community has um, a certain allocation of those vouchers that the VA oversees. Um, But then also uh, in 2011, uh, they unveiled a new program called Supportive Services for Veteran Families, or SSVS. Um, this served not just families, but also uh, individual veterans experiencing homelessness. And this is uh, a rapid rehousing and homeless prevention program um, to the tune of $300 million approximately a year that's given out to grantees across the country. And I believe every single community has access to these funds. Um, some of them uh, administered through veteran programs, but others just through local homeless service programs, which was a new strategy for for the VA to be giving money to um, 
homeless service organizations that weren't necessarily veterans services organizations. So there was this huge influx of, of resources, of money, of training, um, and, and that really covered the whole gamut of support. So you have prevent dollars to prevent people from falling into homelessness. You have dollars to quickly help those folks um, who have just recently fallen into homelessness get back out. And you have some long-term money and supports for those veterans who have been homeless the longest. So you really have the whole continuum of supports that's available in almost every community across the country. As a result of that, we saw veteran homelessness decrease by about half uh, in a pretty short amount of time, about seven, eight years. So tremendously successful. And um, several communities reached the goal of effectively ending veteran homelessness so that no veteran is homeless for more than about 90 days, um, and they're quickly reconnected back to housing. So that includes anything from small small, small communities, um, well, not a small community, but like a countywide, uh, Montgomery County, Maryland did that, um, a, a lot of communities now. Um, but it's, it's happened statewide, the state of Virginia, the state of Connecticut, um, declared functional end of veteran homelessness. Houston, Texas, New Orleans, Louisiana, so large cities are doing this. So we saw communities, um, all different kinds of communities, so high-cost communities, um, rural communities, large urban areas, um, all in places all across the country really find success. So I think to, to go back to your question, what we saw was when – there is an appropriate amount of resources applied across uh, the continuum of services and supports that are needed, we see homelessness decrease and effectively end in those communities that have, that have effectively marshaled those resources. So it sounds like really the it's almost a a problem of empathy because it seems like uh, families are being taken care of and veterans are being taken care of because these are, you know, as you said, it's unconscionable that children would be sleeping in, in the streets. And, you know, you take the, you, this country, uh, uh, thinks very highly of people that, uh, that, that, uh, give, give themselves a military service. And it's kind of unconscionable to like that any of those people are out in the streets. What, what how do we solve this like empathy gap where we say the other people that, you know, uh, They've lived in a city their whole life. Uh, they've had the same job their whole life. They haven't done anything different or wrong, and suddenly they are, because of the community growing up around them and pricing them out, suddenly they're experiencing homelessness. How can we get people connected to the idea that, look at these pilot programs that we've done when people care and have uh, essentially solved this problem. How, how do you think that we can, we can bridge that, that gap with the, these other people? Yeah, you know, I think as as you know, we're seeing rents increase and wages are pretty stagnant. I think increasingly so. And you know, you mentioned the the recent government shutdown. I think people are starting to see like, holy cow, that could be me. Um, for a long time, we've had these narratives that like people who are homeless are homeless by choice, or people who are homeless all have a mental illness, or they all are addicted to drugs or alcohol, or all of them are whatever, fill in the blank. Um, mm -hmm. And so there's sort of been this othering of people experiencing homelessness. Um, now, certainly we do see a disproportionate number of people who uh, have a mental illness, who have an addiction, who are experiencing homelessness. The thing that, about that, though, is you can't really say it's a causative relationship. It's more correlated. So folks who have an addiction, folks who have a physical disability, folks who have a mental health diagnosis are more likely to be poor 
And mm-hmm. um, some of that is because the social safety net is pretty weak at this point. So if you're having trouble holding down a job or, you know, the only job you can really hold down is part time or minimum wage, it's going to be really hard to maintain your housing. And so mm-hmm. those are the folks who are more likely to lose their housing. Um, so you sort of see this disproportionality there. Um, You see this disproportionality play out in other ways as well. One of the big priorities of the alliance right now is digging into um, looking at at the impact of race and homelessness. So when you look at the nation, about 13% of the U.S. population is African-American. A slightly higher percentage, about 22% of people living in poverty are African-American. When you look at the percentage of people living and experiencing homelessness who are African-American, it's 40%. So each step up, you sort of see this increasing disproportionality that you can't blame entirely on, like, the housing market or right. um, poverty or, or those sorts of things. So there's actually – there's a lot that we don't know still, to be honest. Like we don't know exactly what all is contributing to that um, gigantic increase from 22% of people living in poverty who are African-American to 40% of people experiencing homelessness. Um, we can we can look at different things. We can look at disproportionalities in uh, – you know criminal justice. We can look at housing discrimination historically, and and those all point in that direction, but they still don't fully explain why we see what we see. So, you know, all this to say, there's a lot that we don't know, um, but but when we've seen those resources, Marshall, we know what works, that the same things work for that person who is um, experiencing addiction, that person who is living with a mental illness, a person who is white, a person who is African-American, a person who is Native American, the solutions are, are all the same in that the solution is housing. Um, and, and it's going to look different. Each person's path from homelessness back into permanent housing may look a little bit different um, depending on what their needs are, depending on what their supports are, depending on what community you live in. You know, It's certainly not a one-size-fits-all approach. The only thing that's one size about it is that we believe that ultimately the goal is to reconnect this person to permanent housing. Um, But the path between those two may look really different for each person. So um, another question I know that that, that has come up a lot and people are curious, uh, you know, at a national level, you guys are a nationalized in homelessness and, uh, you know, you're, you're pretty upfront about the fact that you guys don't run homeless shelters, you don't run soup kitchens. Uh, Can you kind of explain briefly when you take in a dollar from individuals or like, you know, communities pull together and and do fundraisers like we have, what, when, when we, when we write you a check, like how does the national Alliance take our dollars and uh, try to try to try to generate an endless uh, end to homelessness with that? Yeah, so there's sort of three big arms of work that we do. Um, probably the the largest is our policy uh, our policy team. So we seek to um, impact and influence policy, uh, advocate for additional funding for programs that end homelessness, uh, make sure that those dollars, as they're being allocated, are are being allocated in a way that we think will actually work to end homelessness. So um, a lot of the legislation uh, around homelessness, if, you know, if folks want to look up things like the Hearth Act or um, McKinney-Vento assistance, those are all um, big homeless programs, the continuum of care competition. Um, these are all kind of the funding mechanisms 
systems that exist on the federal level um, that the alliance has had uh, a, a pretty major influence over uh, over the year. So, so would it be fair to say that you're like essentially lobbying on behalf of the homeless? That is that is a part of what that's a part of what of what happens. Correct. Yeah. I find it. I, so, I, I, I imagine it's very hard for homeless people to uh, you know get in time in front of their congress per, per, persons, their senators. Uh, it, it's very hard for them to lobby on behalf of of themselves in a situation they they find themselves in. Absolutely, and we certainly do try and lift up the voices of people who have lived experience of homelessness through this work as well by connect making those connections. But you're correct in in, in that assessment. So that's a piece of what we do, but we also spend a lot of time. Um, we have uh, what we call our Homeless Research Institute, um, which digs into um, the data. And I mean, the, the the federal programs collect a lot of data. Individual programs collect a lot of data. There's a lot of research that that's happening into what is working uh, to to end homelessness across the country. And so um, our homeless uh, resource. Uh, Homeless Research Institute uh, both does some of our own research and digging into this data, but also looks at what other people are studying and what's working. Um, and then the third piece of what we do, which is actually where I uh, come into play, is um, our capacity building team. So what we do is um, go around the country and we learn from communities that are seeing big impacts in ending homelessness. We learn from programs. So we are we are out kind of the boots on the ground, folks, learning what's working um, and also doing some training and technical assistance. So when we learn what's working in one place, we can help take that to another community so that they can uh, learn from that as well. So that is another piece of what we do. So it's really a, a multi-pronged strategy to impact um, both the funding that, that comes into this fight to end homelessness, but also um, – the thinking around how communities and programs and providers are thinking about ending homelessness. And I could just say just personally before, so I've been with the Alliance for about two years now, um, but prior to that was, uh, was a homeless service provider, started as a case manager, ended up helping run a program. But um, the Alliance, so much of the, the material the Alliance put out were things that I referenced, things that I helped um, training, that I helped provide to my team. You know, by saying, "Hey, these are these are the best practices that the alliance has helped uh, define." Let's make sure that the way we're running our program is in alignment with that. So, you know, those are the kinds of things that, as as a boots on the ground provider who you know who who has thirty phone messages and a thousand emails in my inbox every single day, I don't have the time. Or, or the the wherewithal often to to be thinking on this this bigger picture, to be advocating, to be uh, formulating and, and articulating best practices. So it was always really helpful to have the perspective of the alliance to say, this is what's working in in other communities like yours. Um, try this thing if you're feeling stuck. Yeah, that's a good point because, like you know, as as you, as we said before, it seems like the number one barrier is to get people like engaged and empathetic and like willing to see this as a problem that's solvable and to do something. But once a community does that, then boy, gee, where do you start? You know, uh, and the National Alliance is there to be like we have seen communities like yours and they've done these policies and procedures and this is how you do it. And this is how th these are the things that make a, the, the, they make a, 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 a positive effect in communities like yours. And you kind of give them like a, a turnkey manual that they can just right. like, these are example 
policies at a at a local and state level that can be pursued through uh, legislature, and these are actual practical. Uh, when you say capacity, we're talking about not just uh, you know we're not talking about just like um, you know emergency shelters and and temporary shelters, but we're talking also about you know being able to, as you say, rapidly rehouse these people as well. Correct. Yeah, we've been working over the past year across the state of Georgia, um, across the state of Maryland, in uh, Hartford, Connecticut, in the city of Las Vegas, um, and Clark County, Nevada, um, working with shelters, working with rapid rehousing providers, just to make sure that they are taking a system-wide approach to ending homelessness, that they're incorporating best practices. And, you know, these organizations, they're all functioning in the same communities and the same spaces, but there's not always, again, that time and impetus to sit down together and say, are we collaborating in the ways that we want to? Are we getting the results that we want to? And so that's been some of our work is to help those communities come together and really ramp up the work that they're doing. And, you know, I think over over the course of, of 2018, we, we do what we call housing challenges across these communities. And um, across those four places, I think they housed almost a thousand people uh, through those challenges over the course of a year, um, which was was huge. I mean, some of that stuff, they really took their work to the next level because we encouraged them, urged them, pushed them to think outside the box and to, to try new things. You know, I, I, a lot of times communities seek to kind of reinvent the wheel. Like you said, sometimes mm. we, we come to this work and we feel like homelessness is this intractable problem. We don't even know where to start. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is we do know what works. We've seen what works. We've studied what works. And so we can help folks um, kind of kickstart that work. So they don't feel like they're starting from, from step one. Um, we can help them take those first big steps and say, Try this in your community. This might this might work. And to be honest, we've seen, um, particularly in the state of Georgia, some really amazing decreases in homelessness across that state over the years. Certainly, we can't take full credit for that. They've done good work uh, across that state. But um, when you do what works, you see good results. Well, Ben, I know uh, you kind of got a heart out uh, and we we're trying to really get this uh, interview scheduled because next week you guys are in a conference in San Diego trying to uh, the, the further in homelessness. Uh, and we had a very narrow window to, to get in touch with you. So I really appreciate you guys. Um, you know, being generous at the time of the interview. I know Jasper stopped by actually our stream when we were doing the marathon last weekend and we had uh, the, your vice president is, is Steve. Is that his name? Steve Berg, he's Steve, a great guy. Yeah, Berg came by and like thanked the the, the community as well, and uh, we're just really um, really impressed with the job you guys are doing. And thanks for all the efforts uh, that you guys are doing to, like you said, truly end homelessness. And it would be nice to see that uh, happen in my lifetime and my son's lifetime. And uh, uh, if we can just keep keep people's in, in, engaged and keep our eye on the ball and, and make sure these resources are being distributed, sounds like that's something that uh, is entirely possible. So, thanks, thanks once again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we and we appreciate you all giving us this platform. I mean, you you asked how how do we change hearts and minds, and I think by getting in front of people who who maybe otherwise wouldn't be hearing this message. So we uh, really really appreciate the partnership with you all and the interest you've taken in our work. So thank you so much for giving us the chance. I tell you what, we need to do. We need to we need to sell David Simon on doing a a a really good television series on uh, what it's like to be homelessness and or be, to be homeless in a community. 
you know, you give, give the, the full, for it. give the full, the wire treatment to the problem of homeless, Perfect. because I feel like that's the, you know, that's that it, it's taken a while, but I feel like that's really moved the ball on how we see like, you know, uh, drug policy and treatment. Um, you know, we're not there yet, but there's definitely like that opens the mind because people have preconce- preconceptions of what, you know, people are like in gangs, what people are like when they're addicted to drugs. And I think the same kind of empathy that, that, uh, you know, arts and entertainment can bring to problems like that could could help the home. Like it'd be, boy, if I could grant, green light an HBO series, it seems like that could do a lot of good. But in no absence way. of that, we'll try to uh, make our community aware um, of what uh, what uh, they can do. Because I know, you know, a lot of like you said in the the West Coast that this is a huge problem facing those uh, those those cities. And uh, I'm glad that uh, you guys are going out there to uh, to try to do some education and um, some outreach and and uh, all that work. So again, thank you, Ben, for taking the time uh, before you're, 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 you're jetting off uh, to talk with us. And uh, thanks for all the work you guys are doing. And I really look forward to partner with you in the future to do more fundraising and, uh, uh, and, and support this worthy, worthy cause. Perfect. Well, we appreciate you all. Thank you so much. 